Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. Today, Cody, people have been asking me for years. They say, Ben, what are your all-NBA teams? They say, who is your MVP? What does your ballot look like? And today, we will answer those questions in the best possible way without probably actually answering them. Because the goal of today's show is to discuss the one true MVP in the NBA. Because you know that, Cody, right? There is a one true MVP and everyone else is kind of fraudulent. That's exactly it. There's the platonic ideal of MVP. Mm. And if the one player doesn't match it, everyone else is just irrelevant. And I know this because of some comments I, I read this week. They were spoken by a philosopher of Philadelphia. Um, I mean, he's traveled a long way to get to Philadelphia and had a detour in Kansas. But Joel Embiid, the wonderful giant center for the Philadelphia 70s. So you, you heard this, right? You heard the comments? That oh, I, he... I heard the comments. I heard. Yeah. Okay. So here's what he said. He said, when asked about winning MVP, he said, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I don't know what I have to do. I'll feel like they hate me. I feel like the standard for guys in Philly or for me is different than everyone else. I don't know what I have to do. Cody, before I spontaneously combust, do you have any thoughts? What, what, what did you think of when you heard these, these words from JoJo? This is one of those quotes that immediately when I heard it, it just went into like the archive of all the other the world is against me quotes that superstars have been making in the NBA since the beginning of time. And it's so interesting to me, the internal psychology of these guys that like, they constantly need to find something to be like, this is going to be the thing that motivates me to be the best player that I possibly can be. Like we saw that a lot with the last dance. We see LeBron is LeBron is so good at doing something like that. So that, that was the first thing I thought of. I think it's wonderful that you took such a, a positive, benign approach to these comments because my first reaction was, man, is conspiratorial thinking just going to be everywhere till the end of time? Um, because I I don't get sort of this idea. I've talked about it a lot that there's only one worthy MVP winner in a in a given season, and I think. We've tried to discuss it this week offline for the history of the award, certainly in the three-point era. Most of the time, the voting body, with the exception of a few players here and there, gives the MVP to an absolute stud-worthy superstar player, right? Yeah. I mean, this has been the history of the award, correct? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, and those players, most of the time, go on to, you know, be considered top 50 players in league history and their pantheon players and... um even the second and third place votes, which we may talk about more later, depending on what kind of argument you want to make for defining MVP. Um, we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to trying to define MVP. But even those guys, typically, there's great nuance. There's, there's a lot of story and narrative and sort of um, acknowledgement of great impact and play throughout history if you look at the MVP voting. And you could say something similar about the All-NBA teams. I think the All-NBA teams maybe miss a little bit more, but for the most part, All-NBA teams are a collection of the best players in the sport. So when it comes to something like MVP, what I was struck by here is 
conspiracies aside about whether anyone is held to a higher standard or whether anybody in Philadelphia, I mean, I actually think one of the MVPs that doesn't fall in that category was given to someone in Philadelphia. So it's, it's a, it's a strange stance to take. Um, but all that aside, I think there's a really, really, really simple reason for why you can have a season that Joel Embiid is having, which is an MVP level season. It checks the boxes statistically, both in terms of the box score and in terms of impact stuff. And I think for the most part, it checks the boxes with narrative, you know, the team staying relatively high in the standings. Um, You know, they haven't been that great per se. 50-ish win teams aren't typically thought of as juggernaut teams, but there's a ton of parity in the league right now. And Philadelphia's had a weird season. We've had a COVID season. Ben Simmons didn't play all season. They've now picked up James Harden. I think in a lot of years, Embiid would pick up the MVP. Um, but Cody, there's a there's another player or two that exist who also influence this. And I mean, you can guess who I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, we're talking. I'm actually not going to make that joke right now. But yeah, oh, are you going to say Jose Alvarado? That's exactly the player I was going to say. Thank you for yeah. saving me there. Yeah. Um, so you could talk about Giannis, who's also having a great season. Um, and a two-time MVP and a f- coming off a finals MVP and leading the Bucks to a championship. And then, of course, Jokic in Denver. And I just want to read, I, I looked at some of the major impact metrics that we've referenced over time or that you'll see me reference in videos. I just want to read the rankings of some of these guys in these impact metrics. So Embiid this season, second in EPM from dunks and threes, maybe the best kind of single one number hybrid stat out there. Second in LeBron, third in my box plus minus model, third in Raptor, second in RPM. That's Joel Embiid this season. If you put together a season like that where you're second and third in every impact metric, a lot of times you're going to win an MVP. Here's the problem. The guy he's going up against is first in basketball references BPM. He's first in RPM. He's first in Raptor. He's fourth in my box plus minus model. He's fourth in LeBron and he's fifth in EPM. And if you're scratching your head and you're like, now, now wait a second. Embiid two, 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 three, two, you know, Jokic has, yeah, I know. I heard a bunch of first, but a fourth and a fifth. Um, Here's the rub, Cody. Those are not Jokic's stats for this season. Those are his rankings all time in every single one of those metrics. He's first in the history of RPM. He's first in the history of Raptor. He's first in the history of basketball references, box plus minus. And he's in the top five on record in EPM, LeBron. And my box plus minus goes back to 1955. And he's having the fourth best box score season ever. And the only seasons you'll ever see ahead of these type of seasons are like peak Michael Jordan, 2016, Steph Curry, peak LeBron. That, that's usually the only seasons that can top them. So that's it. That's the, that's the simple answer. When you have a player like that, you're not one of those guys is not going to get the I mean, poor Giannis is over in the corner, like hoping to get third. Yeah. And Giannis is another guy who you're looking at them like EPM third, LeBron third, uh, BPM second. Like he's also like Embiid where he's like hovering around that two to three range for all of them. So again, any other season, this is a guy that could potentially pick up an MVP. And then to give some context for some of those Jokic numbers, because I know some people mostly use EPM and uh, LeBron for their their impact metrics. Those go back to about 2014. 
the other stats don't. They go back a little bit further than 2014. Mm-hmm. Like some of yep. these, RPM goes back to 97. Uh, BPM, back to 1955. Raptor, since 1976. Okay, so yeah, that, that's the thing that's left out of this. It's like, what, what do I have to do? Embiid, you, you, you have to literally have one of the greatest seasons of all time to win MVP. That's the just situation. To have, just to have, have an argument. To have an argument, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think the thing is then you'd have to take different arguments outside of like either impact or what we would think of as overall goodness. Um, because it's basically impossible to have that perspective be clearly better than Jokic if there hasn't been a regular season in history that's clearly better than Jokic's regular season. So I think that's the rub in terms of how you can be this good and then have a guy, or in this case, really two players who also, I think, have strong arguments. Um, now, do you, you don't like that, right? You think there should be a clearly defined rubric for MVP, and this way we can have a more like objective MVP winner, correct? Absolutely. Like This, this is a conversation that um, I feel like I was shouting at you all in our, in our like back channel thinking basketball chat for a while. I'm like, guys, definition. Other conversation. Guys, definition. I'm like, am I, am I crazy? Am I the only one that thinks that we need to define this? Like, coming from a philosophy background, I'm like, we cannot have we cannot have a great conversation about something that requires a definition unless we have a definition. Like, like someone was like, hey, Plato, what do you think about justice? And he's like, hey, let me whip out my pen and write 700 pages to define that first. Like, in most valuable player is this word value. And we cannot talk about MVP and rank what, these, what this means until we actually know what value is because you can't say something is more valuable than someone else if you don't know what value is in the first place. So I'm very much in the camp of like, even if it's not perfect, somebody has to start putting forth some philosophies about like what does value mean? What does the most valuable player mean? So that's very strongly the position I will be taking today. Well, don't you think that there are at least a handful, two, three, four really common interpretations of that? So there are common interpretations, but it seems like they're wielded kind of willy-nilly whenever somebody wants to use a certain narrative yeah. in a way. Like, there's not a coherent, like, this person is the clear uh, whatever argument they're using. Nope, they might, like, argue MVPs 1 and 2 follow this argument, MVPs on my ballot 2 through 5 follow this argu- other argument, and things like that. So th- it doesn't seem to be, like, this this coherent argument that people follow. Okay, so you have something like best player on best team, and... None of that applies to any of these guys we're talking about, the big three big men, right? Because they're not the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns finished with the best record, or they're technically going to finish with the best record. So that's out. Um, Then you have something like, well, you tell me, because you were making a list of some of the more popular arguments this week as we prepared for this, where maybe it's like the, the absolute best player in the league in any circumstance. Okay, well, how do you figure that out? You, you look at the data that we've alluded to. You look at the players and what they bring. You think about how they would play with different teammates in different circumstances, how fluid and adaptable they are, how resilient they are to different defenses. I don't know if you could clearly make an argument for one of the, especially with Jokic's regular season defense seeming to not be that far away. Whereas in the playoffs, I think you could make an argument his regular season defense falls way off. I don't know how you can make an argument that one of these guys is clearly ahead of Jokic. I guess if I had a vote, it would be Jokic, but only because I think of things from 
the perspective of like best player more so. But I think all of these guys are in a place where I think if we end up with a final voting that those three finish top three and they all have really good share in some order, that will be pretty consistent with the historical collection of voting. And I know you want that one specific defined criteria. But first of all, how do you pick out of the three or four popular criteria? Well, I think that has to be something that, like, obviously there's not, like, a board of, like, we're going to be the people that handles accolades going forward, so we're going to be voting on this kind of thing. I think just, like, a couple people need to be like, hey, this is the criteria I'm using. This is the criteria that I think we should be pushing forward. Uh, Therefore, this is how I'm going to be voting. I invite other people to try and do it, and then hopefully other people take that information, they build off that theory, and then maybe they create even a stronger way to do it. So, like, let me ask you, because it seems like this is what you're leaning towards. Do you think MVP should be voted in terms of the best player in the NBA, period, regardless of uh, how they finish in the standings? No, I don't I don't know. I think 10 or 15 years ago, I probably would have thought that. But 10 or 15 years ago, I was more of the opinion or the impression that like there was this one guy you had to pick. It was very much from a talk show, talking heads, yelling at each other um, idea that gets in your head after a while of like, this guy's got to be the MVP. You know, Kendrick Perkins said something today that I saw when I opened up Twitter, and it was something like, we're done voting for Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year. And, and I can't even wrap my head around what that means. It's like, it doesn't matter. He could be a hundred times better than the next player, but we've already given him enough defensive player of the years. And on one hand, that's analytically kind of um, absurdism, right? It just kind of makes the entire process meaningless. But on the other hand, the MVP, especially Cody, is driving conversation and it's capturing these sort of really important narrative components of a season. I've heard the argument, well, the MVP should be the guy that that when you think of that season, he's the one that comes to mind. And my problem with that has always been, man, when I think of seasons, a lot of dudes come to mind. Like 2006. 2006 was Kobe's 35.4 point per game season, but it was also the season that Dirk Nowitzki kind of clearly took a step forward. And then, of course, in the playoffs, they were able to get over the Spurs. It was a season where LeBron James became really a big boy. And you're like, oh, my God, he's here. You know, this is happening. This 21-year-old kid is this good. And then Steve Nash solidified himself as a player because the expectations were low for Phoenix after the Amari Stoudemire injury and after they lost Joe Johnson and all this stuff that happened and they ran out of centers during the year. And it didn't even matter because Steve Nash is just that good on offense. Um, Maybe even Chauncey Billups has some vote share that year just going off the top of my head. So this happens in a lot of years where it's not really to me about one player, right? It's about making sure that multiple perspectives are represented in the MVP because the MVP is telling a story that's part of an entertainment product, that's part of a kind of fan identity experience that takes on like a religious fervor, right? Like, I don't know how to say, hey, we should make this figure skating and we should have like point systems that when you do like a triple axle, you get like seven points. And then if you land it perfectly, you get like a one point bonus, except we pick our, I don't know how we do it. Would we pick our impact metrics and go from there? That's the thing. I just, I don't know if it actually is a problem that needs to be solved. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So, okay, I want to take Kendrick Perkins' comments right here. And I'm not necessarily even saying that like Kendrick Perkins is the leading voice and all this kind of stuff, but he is a voice that goes out into the ether and people listen to him and, and whatnot. And he has a TV show and whatever else. Um, but I wonder like if I were to press him, like what to you is like defensive player of the year, what to you is MVP. I'd be really fascinated to hear him to try to define it because if you, those specific words, like we're done voting for Rudy Gobert. So if we're done doing it, that implies that there's some kind of like, past moments when you did vote for Gobert. So as Defensive Player of the Year and MVP and any other awards, is it an award that wraps in previous seasons in some way? Is it an award where you're actually supposed to sink in a little bit of playoff performances and however you might interpret that? Um, For Defensive Player of the Year, do you actually consider some of somebody's offensive shortcomings as well? Because that seems to be where Gobert falls apart a little bit more in the playoffs. I, I honestly don't know, and I wonder what he would say if I asked that. So I think even in that sort of statement, it just shows that there's multiple of these narratives kind of intertwined with each other, but there's no singular ideology that's driving that statement. Right, but I'm saying, how do you force a singular ideology? And then if you do, do you kind of lose the nuance that already exists? I mean, again, going back and looking at MVP voting historically... It's, it's a pretty good representation or collection of something that is actually slightly different than who the best player is. If you were to do best player, you would have a, and, and I, you see this in some of my um, analysis or sort of valuations that I put out, you would have a much more consistent season to season pattern. Because guys get in their prime, and as long as they're healthy, they're relatively similar. Maybe they lose a little athleticism as they age. Maybe they add a little bit uh, as they mature and practice and pick up skills with experience. But it would be Michael Jordan over and over and over again. And, and, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar arguably was the best player in basketball. I mean, heck, he might have been the best player in basketball when he was at UCLA. But he was arguably the best player in the NBA for the entire decade of the 1970s. Um, He won six MVPs as it is, his sixth coming in 1980. Would it have been something that was good for the sport, good for the fans, made people happy, et cetera, et cetera, if he had nine or 10 or 11 MVPs in a row. Um, I think as I talk through this, I'm kind of advocating in my own head for like a what might come off as like a player of the year award or something that reflects best player that you wouldn't worry about voter fatigue. But MVP and some of these other things, they're trying to capture the single season spike the the moment and so on and i don't know i don't know how much of a problem that is anymore so let's take kareem for instance because i'm i'm even thinking about you know you look at all-time lists you look at your your backpicks top 40 goat list Where, where's kareem right now he's like he's like three or something like that no he would be second at the at the lowest is he second still who else has passed him i thought lebron and jordan were ahead of him no, Kareem was ahead of Jordan, and then LeBron has oh, to pass. Him. Wow, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so most people, so I know you did not take accolades into account for that, right? Like that's that's pure impact. How did they perform? Things like that. But when other people are making their lists, they take a lot of these accolades into account. And 
if we're not actually awarding somebody like Kareem, who's the best player in the league for, for a decade, right? Like Kareem with 10 MVPs is a little bit different of a case for most people than Kareem with six MVPs. Like when you start stacking these guys up, you know, someone could slip in and be like, wait, wait a second, wait a second. I know Jordan has the six championships. I know LeBron's been to the finals however many times in a year. But this Kareem guy's got 10 MVPs. Like clearly he was the best player in the league for 10 years. So like, don't we want that award to hold some kind of meaning? Because if it doesn't have that definitional meaning, like what sort of meaning does the MVP bear? See, I, I'm very, very anti using accolades for historical rankings or basically basically doing your own analysis, right? Can I cut you accolade- off? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Is the reason you're against it because they're meaningless, because there's no definition for how somebody wins one of those awards? No, no, it's not. That would have been, that would have been so satisfying. Um, <laughs> it's, it's essentially because I think using any accolades other than like a first pass or to try to understand what a group of people were thinking at a time as a substitute for your own analysis is punting on the exercise in the first place. It's like going up to a room with an unlocked door and trying to figure out what's inside the room. And then a guy running in front of you and going, we don't need to open this door. Bob said it's a box and the rest of us are just, but we could open the door and look inside. And that's the equivalent of like actually doing the analysis yourself or having an assessment of who the best players were in a season and then not letting that assessment change the moment the MVP rankings are published in, when are they going to be published? June. They're publishing at the end of the year now, right? So it's like, I've never understood that. It's the same thing with the rings. You know, you don't, you have no idea who the good players are until the season ends, but then you can go back and then you can know, okay, the, the guy who won, Giannis was the best last year and who finished it, Chris Paul was second because he came in second. Like it's some sort of uh, marathon race that the individuals are running. That's been my problem with it. I don't think, I don't think it should serve as anything other than a reference point and never a substitute for your own analysis. Um, if you wanted to do the analysis, if you don't want to do the analysis, that's fine. But it, to me, it's just punting on actually doing the analysis yourself when you defer to, you know, 88 beat writers. And and by the way, especially historically, it was hard for beat writers to watch a lot of games. They're going around the country, covering their own team. There's no direct TV. There's no league pass. There's no internet streaming. So let's get back on track. That's my rant about accolades. Okay, so let's let's talk about MVP, and may, maybe this will flow into all NBA too. So last year, I kind of went through this thought experiment where I was like, okay, what if I take – okay, there's a couple ways to think about this. What if I take um, Basketball Index's LeBron stat, and I boil it down to give me two different outputs? Number one, it shows me who's had the most like LeBron impact throughout an entire season based on the amount of games that they've played. And I also deboiled it down to once you hit a certain threshold, say like 50 games, 65 games, who has the most LeBron impact per game? Mm -hmm. And then what if I just take those? Like, what if I just decide like, okay, I think the MVP should be the player that has the most impact past a certain threshold per game. And then I just rank those players by LeBron. And my question was, why would you trust your own internal calculus for something that you don't have a strong ideology and theory for when you're judging them versus this statistic that I've made up that is very clearly following at least some kind of a certain law. And so that's my concern is when you do do your analysis, like what are you what are you aiming towards? Because if you're just like, oh, I did my analysis, but I still don't necessarily know what MVP means, that analysis doesn't seem useful at that point. Well, if I'm following you, the analytical component there is trying to figure out how valuable someone is or how good someone is. So in your own internal calculus, that can be consistent. 
you can say, I think this player is better because he's a better scorer, because he's got a better pull-up jumper and a post game, and he's a 48% shooter when he's open versus 42% shooter. And um, I think I think you can still be internally consistent as long as you know what you're talking about. Now, if I'm following you, I think your your point of contention that sticks in your craw is that one person one year might say, I care about you being the best player. And then the next year they might say, oh, I care about that you were the most valuable to your specific team, which fell apart. And then the next year they might go, oh, you did the most with the, you would, that would have been like a 10 win team without you, but you won 38 games. And that's super impressive that you were able to take 70 shots a game. Am I following you correctly? And that that's the, that's the part that doesn't sit well with you. You are, but I think it's even more egregious than that. I think in a single season, Someone might be like, all right, I'm voting this person number one on my MVP ballot because they're just simply the best player in the league. Number two, I'm going to vote. Uh, this player isn't necessarily as good as probably number two or three, but he's by far on the best team and he's the best player on the mm. best team. So I'm going to put you at number two. Number three, your team probably would have collapsed without you. Number four, you have another all-star superstar teammate next to you, uh, but I don't think you'd be a championship level without you. So I think like people just kind of flip-flop on their own ballots and the thinking this way, and that's where I get caught up. I think they do. I think that's all true. And yet it somehow kind of works a little bit, right? No. <laughs> it does. No. You, most, wait a second. Let's go back to the original premise. Most MVPs in NBA history are MVP level players, right? Yes, sure. Do, do you agree with me that there are usually, almost always, at least in the last 30, 40 years, multiple MVP level players in each season? Yes. Okay, so how do you parse? I mean, I'll let you pick one. I'll let you be the head of the council right now. Pick one criteria that would allow us to parse a 1990 season where Charles Barkley, um, you know, maybe that's his peak. Maybe leave aside when he went to Phoenix for a second. Great season in Philadelphia. They overperform. They win like 50 games, whatever it is. Michael Jordan is at his peak. Magic Johnson has this incredible regular season. How do you parse which of those three gets MVP? That's such a good question. And that, that's what I'm here pleading to the world to do. Like, I, I've thought about this for literal years, and I still haven't come up with, like, a good unified ideology on this. But this is my call to action for smarter people out there who are listening to this, who are like, you know what? That Cody guy is right. Maybe I should go and actually put forth this theory. Cody doesn't. Cody needs help doing this. He's in pain because he himself isn't able to do this. So maybe I'll go forward and help the guy with it. That's what I want to happen. But I'm saying, Cody, that it hasn't happened because it's an ill-posed question. It's not. It, it can't. You, you can't stay in the lane of this MVP thing as we think about it. And then also shrink it to this one thing that everyone agrees upon so we can get your objective way to parse. And by the way, I would just say, you know, at a high level, parsing players that are that good, that are that close together, isn't that easy. I think one of the things that's compelling to me about Jokic right now that that might be tripping up people a little bit is that they're thinking of Jokic and his playoff performance and how his defense changes in the play. I mean, if if it's just regular season, this is one of the best regular seasons in NBA history. That's that would be the compelling point for me. But if you vote for Embiid, all I would hope personally is that you wouldn't vote for Embiid and say like, well, Embiid has better stats or there's a conspiracy or another one I've heard is the team, the team record. 
Oh, that makes that makes my skin crawl when we get the team record brought up. Let, let me just this. I think it's a couple days old because I didn't look it up right before we recorded. But this is something I've tracked all year. We've talked about healthy team standings on many episodes. Denver this season with Jokic has played at a 51 win pace. That's been pretty consistent throughout the entire year. Milwaukee has played at a 54 win pace with Giannis and Philadelphia has played at a 52 win pace. So regardless of what you think of the supporting cast, if you're trying to make some argument about like one of these guys has done way more with his team than the other or carried them to a different seed or something like that, um, that to me is something that I think would be internally inconsistent. That isn't really coherent or holds no water. And on top of that, the 51 win pace with Jokic is over 71 games or what is he up to? 72 or 73 games now. Embiid is at 60. Hold on. I need to update this in my head. They played once. So Embiid is 64, Jokic is 71, and Giannis is 73 games. So those are the things that get me is when people try to sort of drum up arguments that it seems like they want to go for something. Instead of just saying like, look, when I stack up Embiid and Jokic as players, and I consider the playoffs as well, I think Embiid has a huge defensive edge. I don't know what to make of it. They're pretty darn close. And that's drawing me more toward Embiid. Or voter fatigue is a thing. I don't want to give it to two or three guys in a row. The fans don't want to give it to two or three guys in a row. It's nice for the league to have different cities win MVP. Something like that, at least to me, would be more consistent than they got a higher seed because they play in a terrible conference. Let us let me go back to your, your 1990 thought experiment. I think what I'm proposing doesn't necessarily require that every voting body has the exact same ballot. Because I think when you get into one of my favorite words again, when you get into the nebulous territory of judging who the best player is in the league, if that's actually what your judgment is, then maybe that is a question that's in flux. And maybe you do have like three guys who are genuinely maybe at the same level for being best player in the league. And if the conversation then for MVP is like, look, I have player X and player Y and player Z in this order, because I think that is the exact order of the best players in the league. I'm so happy with that because we're at least on the shared ground of like we are looking for the best players in the league as opposed to some other uh nebulous narrative that is driving the conversation so i think both of those sorts of things can coexist do you feel the same way about all nba uh i, I think that's also another conversation that should be had in terms of so defining whether yeah go ahead my the other thing with with all nba is it almost seems like and i think i actually I don't want to say anyone's name, but I feel like I've literally heard people who, who have votes that say they, they handle the two of them differently. Like, I've literally heard some people say, like, okay, maybe you vote for Jokic for MVP and you put Embiid on first team All-NBA. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, shouldn't All-NBA be a continuation of MVP? Like, should All-NBA basically just be, like, the top 15 players and that's the... You can, you can split them up as opposed to um, what position they play or whatever else. Like... Isn't it the same award, but just extended? Like, what if it's not, what is all NBA then? But then again, you can't compare them if you don't have a definition for either of them. Well, I mean, I'm sure there are voters who don't put in the same level of effort as other voters or don't have internally consistent criteria. But I think a lot of voters who really take the time to do this well will probably have some relationship between MVP. I've heard people say MVP is more conditional. It's more results oriented. It's more about what's happening to value on your team and all NBA. I'm going to reserve for better players and MVP. I'm going to care more about stuff like 
games played. I, I know the dunked on guys do this, right? They're like, games played are going to matter more. With all NBA, it's going to be a threshold. I just want to make sure you didn't sit out the entire season. So I do think there's probably space for, for individual voters for the most part, even as their criteria vary, for them to internally have a consistent relationship between MVP is one thing and all NBA captures another thing. Um, same thing for me with all NBA, though. I just want to make sure that the arguments are good, healthy basketball arguments that are grounded in things that make sense. Like, like don't give me passes thrown as a reason for Donovan Mitchell not to be on your all NBA ballot. Can we go there for a second? Please, please. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I, I really would love like a stats police that could comb, <laughs> comb the internet and just add context. It doesn't have to do anything negative. Just add context, like literally be a bot that injects the right context when someone pulls out a stat like this, because most people are not familiar with with passes thrown. This is not something they have an intuitive mental model for that allows them to have the right perspective on what's happening. So I actually looked it up because uh, for me, this really hit a nerve having just watched like 8,000 hours of the Jazz offense this year and seeing how good it is and seeing how good Mitchell is. And I'm like, wait a second. If he were missing Rudy Gobert on passes, you'd be able to see that on film repeatedly. And you don't see that. What you see is, and I talked about it in the video, I think Mitchell's a better kickout passer than he is a laydown passer. Some of that is his physical dimensions and tools and vision. Some of that is the way Utah is defended and the fact that when they space you with those shooters, you're going to get an awesome high-value three-point look. And because of all that space, you don't want to leave Gobert wide open on a roll because they're going to get a dunk. So I looked it up. Mitchell passes to Gobert. So the the stat that's being passed around is 153 passes. And then they say, well, Mitchell played you know, 60 some odd games. And so it's like two point something passes per game, not assists per game, passes per game. And maybe on the face, that sounds really damning. But they've actually played 1100 minutes together this season. So it comes out to about 4.7 passes thrown per 36. Remember, Mitchell's not the point guard. Mike Conley's the point guard. So Mike Conley throws about 10 passes per 36 to Rudy Gobert. And you can look at analogous situations. So for instance, in Boston, Smart is the point guard. He throws about 10 passes per 36 to Rob Williams. And Tatum throws about five and a half passes per 36 to Rob Williams. Um, In Phoenix, Chris Paul throws 14 passes per 36 to DeAndre Ayton. 
Devin Booker throws six passes for 36 to DeAndre Ayton. Nothing is out of the ordinary here at all, especially since Mitchell throws so many passes to wide open three point shooters. I actually don't want to derail the episode completely and like get into all of those statistics, but he throws a ton of passes to wide open shooters. So the point here is getting back on track to our discussion. I think the way the league works, it's okay to have kind of varying opinions and a little murky. I'm getting more comfortable with the murkiness. All I ask is just don't make stuff up, like be consistent with analysis. If you're going to point to data, use the data accurately or give people the complete picture. And so for the complete picture on passes, there's nothing inherently good or bad about throwing a pass. Some coaches say we want to throw a ton of patches, passes. Some coaches don't care. Some teams pass more. Some teams pass less. As I said, Conley is um, the ostensible point guard there. Mitchell, Mitchell hits shooters a lot, not the roll man. In Milwaukee, Drew Holiday throws 22 passes every 36 minutes to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Now, is Drew Holiday twice the playmaker that Chris Paul is? No, because that's the way the offense works. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. Hit the middle, chase, handoff, come back, run it back again. A lot of movement, a lot of quick touches. So you look at Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton, 19 passes per 36 to Giannis. So the context needs to be provided. That's the only thing I ask um, when it comes to making these arguments. But I don't know what to do about the murkiness, Cody, and I'm... um, Maybe it's my old age. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into it. I'm more okay with it. It still sounds like, and, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth here, but it sounds like you still want like an internal individual ideology for each person voting, whereas I want people to kind of push it out there and for people to collectively start using the same uh, ideology that individuals are using. Is that right? I think that's right. Um, I think if I had my, if you, if you let me be the head of the council for the day, I would like transparency. I think all ballots should be public. I would love if we could curate people who are really into analytical things or have certain knowledge um, that is afforded to them by their job every day throughout the season. Stuff like that would be cool. But I think where I'm landing is like where we are historically has actually done a pretty good job. And I think as a community, we've gotten smarter over the years about the stuff we're looking at, the traps we're falling into. Um, passes thrown aside <laughs> but like you know I, I think I think at the end of this season as long as Giannis and especially Jokic and Embiid have a big healthy MVP voting share at the end of it um, I, I think that's probably going to do the job that it's designed to do in the same way that in 2003 peak Tim Duncan barely beat out Kevin Garnett for MVP and that's part of that story which is like oh my god Kevin Garnett was so good and acknowledged as being so good and getting Minnesota over 50 wins that season. He almost beat Tim Duncan in MVP voting. The voters were very split. And then the next year he came back and almost won unanimously. That's that's part of the story. So I want to use this to actually talk about maybe a fourth player that I, I think maybe should be in the conversation a little bit more. Than he actually can we, is. Can we not say his? Can we? I, if you're if you're gonna say a name, okay. If you're gonna say a name, can we not say a name yet? Ooh, if you if you have something to say about this person without saying his name, you should say it because I don't know how to talk about him without saying his name. I do. Okay. I do have something to say. Please, I, if if it's the person it's you're because I have a person. It's the same. Well, I have. 
I have a person as well that I'm thinking of. And I just, I pulled some data. So I'm going to do, we're going to do our favorite game on Thinking Basketball. I do it all the time. We're going to do guess the player. We're going to do player A and player B. Okay. Player A averages 27 points per 75 on plus 4% true shooting. So what is that around like 60, 61% now? Uh, He has a seven, let's call it a seven in my passer rating model. His on off this season is plus 15. That means when his team is on the court, they are 15 points better than when he is off the court. This is where he ranks in impact metrics. Fourth in estimated plus minus, sixth in LeBron, sixth in Raptor, third in RPM, and 11th in my box plus plus minus model. Fourth, sixth, sixth, third, 11th. Here's player B. 28 points per 75, so a touch higher on volume scoring, just plus 1% efficiency. So kind of like a rung down, three percentage points lower on efficiency. His passer rating is more like a six than a seven. I will say personally from scouting them, that pretty much is in line. I do think player A is a better passer. And his impact metrics, he's 16th in EPM, Raptor, 15th in my box plus minus model, and 21st in LeBron and RPM. So kind of like a lot of like 15 to 20th for player B and player A, a lot of top sixes, third, fourth, sixth, sixth, 11th. Um, by the way, player B, his on off is plus six. So his team is plus three when he goes to the bench and plus nine when he's on the floor. Player A, his team is minus five when he goes to the bench and plus 10 when he's on the floor. So Cody, they're worse when he's on the bench. And then player A's team actually passes player B's team and is better when he's on the court. Which of those sounds like uh, a stronger MVP candidate to you? I mean, based on what you just said, it seems like player A should be running away with it, right? Running away with it. Running away with it. Now, my hunch is we were thinking of the same player. Because player A is Steph Curry, who in the latest ESPN straw man poll is somehow ninth in MVP. And player B is Devin Booker. And if I could get one more word in please on this i've heard a lot of people say well then you have to look at curry's miss games and this is what i mean by just getting accurate about the information we have when you try to apply your own rubric um curry has played 64 games over 2200 minutes and there's like two games left in the season or whatever two or three games so he won't pick up any more games but he's at 64 games here are where a ton of of other players sit. Player B was Devin Booker. Devin Booker has played 67 games and he's played 2,277 minutes. He's played 60 more minutes. Again, I don't know what we're doing if we're saying we're giving one guy's up at the top of MVP, one guy's sliding down as an afterthought over three extra games played or 60 minutes. If that's internally consistent with your criteria, so be it. I'm just skeptical that anyone actually approaches that because Giannis is near the top and he's played 63 games, right? Yeah. 2,100 minutes. Um, How about Joel Embiid? He's played 64 games. 2,100 minutes. He's played fewer minutes than Steph Curry. Who else is a strong candidate right now? Luka Doncic, 61 games. 2,200 minutes. I think uh, Jason Tatum at 73 games, playing almost 2,700 minutes. That's That's an example of someone who I think probably could get a boost from playing more time. But John Morant. 
I mean, John Morant still seems to be very high on people. I've seen people say, I don't know, Curry, maybe third team, all NBA guard. Maybe John Morant's the first team, all NBA guard. Cody, you know how much I love me some John Morant, but he's only played 56 games. Kevin Durant, 51 games, 1,886 minutes. Yeah. So, So, again, for me, I think the way I see it is just be accurate and and internally consistent. And what I have a problem with is just sort of like pl- plucking something out of the air and making it up as a, as a reason to vote for somebody. Um, sometimes there aren't very good reasons. I'm not, if I were forced to make an All-NBA team, I would not have Booker near Steph Curry. Um, but, you know, as long as I think you're internally consistent, then I think we're getting a pretty good a pretty good outcome from the process. I want to add a little bit more on Steph Curry here, because I think there's also an aspect of recency bias. I think I think something that's really helped Devin Booker narrative-wise is that Chris Paul got injured for a stretch of time, and Phoenix, I haven't pulled the stats, but Phoenix kept worrying along with Devin Booker at the helm, right? Yep. Now, Curry is injured. He's been injured a little bit, right? Draymond Green's been injured. They've been struggling with uh, the timing of their injuries. What if we restructured how we set up the Warriors season in their injuries. What if we restructured it in the way so that they actually played their last, again, I pulled these like yesterday, the last 36 games with Draymond and Curry together. All right. So in this thought experiment, right, they start their first 15 games without Curry. Actually, no, let me think. I I had a little bit clear here. No, no. First 15 (laughs) games without Curry, right? Negative four net rating. These would be the games that he missed. Yes. Okay, right. Okay. Games that he missed. Okay, so this would in this experiment we're gonna start with this order, and he's they're five and ten, and then he comes back to the lineup. Yeah, exactly. So he comes okay. back to the lineup, but Draymond is still out. They go sixteen and twelve with Curry, no Draymond, plus four point four net rating. That's pretty okay, solid. So they right. So what would happen is they would look like a pseudo disaster. Then they would come back. They would play better than five hundred ball. They would beat some good teams. They would be twenty one and twenty two in the playoff picture. Their differential would be positive now after starting the season minus four without Curry. They would have some momentum. And then what happens when Draymond comes back? Draymond comes back. They've been their record with both of them playing is twenty nine and seven with a plus nine point eight net rating. So imagine a world. Were the last thirty six or thir- yeah thirty six games that the Warriors have played was at a near plus ten net rating with both of them ripping off twenty nine wins and seven losses. I feel like the narrative machine would have been pushing Curry so much that there's a chance he would have actually been involved with the top three other big men that mm, are looked yeah. at as the main MVP. Yeah, so that would be another example of something that I I personally think you know I would have a problem with because. I don't understand why games, you know, the last 20 games of the season should count as more wins than the first 20 games of the season, when, of course, they don't count as more wins in the standings. So that's a great point in the sense that the recency bias seems to be just as strong as I can remember, if not stronger than ever. And it's this thing that I think of as the college football rankings phenomenon, where as you go through the season, because of the content machine, the way it's set up now in basketball, you have to have your MVP power rankings every week. Even even Tim McMahon's wonderful straw polls at ESPN where we get the check-in and then you kind of like, well, if someone 
miss time, they have to drop. I have to slide them down. If someone lost to a team, I have to move them down my college football rankings. And if someone won, I have to move them up. It doesn't matter that I get a more holistic picture. It doesn't matter who the opponent was. It doesn't matter who was injured or healthy. I just have to maintain this power rankings and follow these little internal rules like I'm moving around an abacus or something. And I think that leads us into this huge recency bias trap where, you know, I don't know. Kevin Durant misses some time and then he's got to go he's got to go away. A similar thing happened to Embiid last year, right? Where Embiid had great momentum. It almost looked like he was going to win the award. It would have been close cuz Jokic of course had an incredible year. But then when he missed time, it was like, well, well, I got I got to drop Embiid down. And so that process to me, yeah, it does create a, a pretty unfair um focus on the end of the year. And you had you have another fascinating point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of force your hand to talk about it because I think this this kind of blew me away when I was looking at it. But when you were talking about the All Star voting trap of earlier in the season and how some of these narratives can can catch hold, and you had some really fascinating thoughts on a specific player where uh, this definitely helped him out by starting off the season hot. Yeah, that that was just going to be the whole episode originally. Is I uh, I was waiting all year to come back to this because it happens every year. I I, I tend to talk about it. Um, you know, Julius Randle last year, somebody gets hot and they play. In his case, he plays well, but also the three point shot is falling, so you have some shooting luck and things kind of go well. And you play forty, fifty games, and then you know you look like an all NBA player if you only knew about those forty or fifty games. But it goes back to what I said about maybe having the stats police, a little bot that comes around and reminds us that in basketball, 20 games, 30 games, you can be hot. 40 games when it's your three-point shooting that has this huge fluctuation can make a huge difference. So one of the players this season, we've talked about him a lot, is Fred Van Vliet. And I've always thought, as much as I like Fred Van Vliet, and as good as he is as a player, like you know, maybe a top 40 player in the league, top 35 player in my book, something like that, really good player. This idea that he was like a top 20 player or a top 25 player or that he was Freddie All-Star, Freddie All-NBA. He was, especially with how good Siakam is. It didn't quite sit right for, with me specifically because of the noise, specifically because of shooting. So, and, and plus minus data, we should mention that as well. That applies to MVP to some degree because people have started looking at plus minus data as something the player himself is doing instead of the player being correlated with right? There's a huge difference. Being correlated with means you can have some impact on in the short term. You can drive a plus minus number. Your on off actually has some signal. But the other, you know, your opponent three point shooting lock is on fire. We talked about this with a couple teams, the nets and things like that. If it's great or poor, that has nothing to do with you as a player. If your teammates are missing or making wide open threes for a stretch, that has nothing to do with you as a player. And yet that's going to impact your plus minus. So the stats on Van Vliet come out to this. He started the year before January 31st as plus 12.7 in on off, shooting just a hair, just a whisker under 40% from downtown. That gave him scoring numbers of 28 points per 75 on 56% true shooting. That was before January 31st. Since January 31st, that plus 12.7 on off has gone to minus 5.9 on off, meaning the Raptors have been better with him on the bench. 
And part of this is the shooting has cooled off. So that 40% has gone down just under 35%. And the stats go from 28 points per 75 to 24 and a half. And the efficiency goes from 56% to 53%. And some of his concerns about finishing at the rim, he, he was three attempts at the rim earlier in the year. Now he's down to two attempts at the rim. Although in the first half of the year, one of the problems I had with him, uh, I can't remember if we brought this up on the point guard rankings, was that he shot 53% at the rim. So those, those are numbers that when you can take a step back and look at prior information about a player, you realize, Cody, hmm, this might just be a spike. This might just be variance. It might be luck. And luck and variance and spikes are super normal in basketball. And depending on what we're talking about, they're normal over 30, 40, 50 game samples sometimes. And so now, after everything is stabilized and we come to the end of the season, Fred Van Vliet's on off, which drives a lot of those impact metrics and hybrid, you know, they take box score and plus minus. It's plus 4.1. The Raptors are about four points better with him in the game. His career on off, according to basketball reference, is plus 4.0. So we've stabilized right back to where we were. That's just, that's incredible. And I, I feel like when I think about MVP and voting for awards and things like that, I don't like thinking back to prior seasons, but I like how here you are able to, and obviously we're not making like an MVP all NBA award for Fred Van Vliet right now, but you can go back and be like, okay, I'm going to compare to what he is right now to what this player has been in the past and see if what it is is a blip, if what's going on is is an outlier, if it's consistent with what's going on. So I think that can be an important, an important component when you're evaluating these kinds of players, especially on small sample sizes, when you start like really hardcore analysis in 35 or 40 games into the season. So have we solved all of the world's problems today? We're very, you're very clear on my MVP stance and my All-NBA teams, correct? Oh, absolutely not. But for the sake of this not being the Lord of the Rings of podcasts, I'm going to say fine. The Lord of the Rings of... Was that a length reference? Um, you know what? However you want to interpret that reference, take it and run. That's apparently well, what we do with MVP. So go ahead with that reference. <laughs> well, no, I, I just... I thought, you know, my mind went to like the one the one true MVP to rule them all. The one, the one MVP to, uh, to bind them. There were other there were other rings though. There were, I don't know why one dude stood out because of all the other rings, but uh I'm really There out were of a lot of other there, rings. There were yeah. a lot of rings, yeah. It's very yeah. un NBA to give out nine rings or whatever it was in Middle Earth. So we've gone through all this. Um you you are you saying you don't have a preference or of like if I asked you who your top three for MVP were, what would you say? I mean, honestly, I haven't sat down to really work it out. I kinda wanted to wait until the season ended here Jokic is probably going to be number one I don't see any way that Jokic isn't number one basically but like I said I think coming up with the internal ideology is really difficult and it's a lot easier to sit down and just kind of like put out some names that sound really good and throw out some stats that work as opposed to like doing the groundwork of being like here's the philosophy I'm going to follow when I actually sit down to do it and you know I'm eating my own words because I've never really done that before maybe because (laughs) I don't have a legitimate vote and it's too much it would be too painstaking to do just for fun but uh I don't know. Jokic is, is number one. I think Curry's much higher. I think Curry, there's a chance Curry could be flirting with that top three as well. I don't really know, though. What about what about All-NBA? Do you have an idea of All-NBA? Uh, no. I actually feel, I feel less good about All-NBA because I don't know if it should be an extension of, of MVP. I don't know if it should be something else entirely. 
I, I think I don't know what else to say. I think, I think I think we've covered all the ground we need to cover today. Cody, I'll give you any more last thoughts that you that you think we haven't hit before we wrap this up. Please, please, I'm begging you, somebody out there, somebody who's just been dying to share their philosophy of what MVP means, of what All NBA means. If you're sitting on a manifesto about awards in the NBA, send it to me. Tweet it. Shout it from the mountaintops. Please, I'm begging you. To be clear, send it to Cody. Do not send it to me. Cody, where can they send that to you? Send it to anything associated with thinking basketball. YouTube. <laughs> no, no, stop it. No. <laughs> if, if you want to support this show, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That is the best way to support um, all things thinking basketball, including this podcast. Don't, if you're going to send something um, that's a manifesto, I, I get a lot of manifestos as it is. This is a Cody pet project. Um, he told me earlier he was thumbing through the Republic and he said, we need something like this for basketball awards. We, des- we desperately need a dialogue about what it means to beyond the 50 minutes that we, <laughs> we just put together right now. Um, how, what are we doing? How do I get out of this podcast? Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. That is the best way to support us. There's extra content. There are um, stats that we've referenced, daily leaderboards that will continue. When the playoffs start, we'll have playoff stats after a few games on those daily leaderboards. Um, Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. For Cody, that is it. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end of this one. Hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, wherever you're listening from, that you are having a great day.